Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. Amen. Amen. I'm so thankful that Jesus changes everything. Amen. What a what a wonderful song, what a wonderful worship set. Let's give the band just another hand for all. Amen. All glory to God, but what a blessing. Uh, what a blessing it is uh, just to be uh, led in, in worship by those using their gifts for uh, His glory and uh, so grateful to be here together with you today. If you are a guest with us this morning, we're so grateful that you are here. Uh, we are blessed by your, your presence just gathering to worship together with us today. We'd love uh, to connect with you when you're ready to connect with us. You'll see uh, in the back of some of the, the seat chairs uh, around you some connect cards. You'll see uh, an, a, a paper there that you can take uh, sermon notes on. Uh, you'll also be able to follow along uh, in the uh, Cowie Church app. So if you don't have that, we would encourage you uh, to get that uh, in there. You'll see uh, information about upcoming events, things that you uh, can uh, just know about uh, there, as well as uh, the ability to follow along in our uh, sermon uh, notes piece of the app. So uh, make sure to check that out uh, this morning. Uh, is a special day. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Jason, and I am uh, one of the pastors here. And this morning, uh, we have a special blessing of having a guest with us today. Uh, we have Phil Waldrop here with us, and Phil's going to be uh, bringing the message this morning. Phil uh, leads uh, a lot of, uh, just a lot of ministries throughout our nation. Uh, some of the conferences and things that some of our uh, folks have attended, the Celebrators Conference, the Gridiron men's conference, the Women of Joy conferences, all are uh, conferences that are sponsored by his ministry. He's an author. He's uh, spoken on Focus on the Family, but today uh, he is with us here at Cowie, and we're so blessed to be uh, just part of what the Lord's doing through uh, Phil Waldrop and his ministries, connected with Phil uh, through mutual friends of ours. Many of you uh, know Bruce and Carla Ferguson, who last year moved to Alabama, and so uh, through connection there, got to know Phil and spent some time with him last night and just have been encouraged and blessed by him. And Phil's going to come and just share uh, with us this morning. I'm going to pray for him and he's going to come. Uh, Father, we're so grateful. God, we're grateful for your word. God, we thank you for uh, this church. God, for those that are gathered uh, today in this room and online. And Lord, we come recognizing that, God, you change everything, Lord, in the message of the gospel changes everything. And Lord, we're so grateful for Phil and his ministries and the way that you're using him around the country, Lord. And we just thank you for bringing him here. God, we pray that you would use him in a great way this morning. Uh, God, that we might leave different than we came, changed by your grace for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. Well, thank you, Brother Jason. You know what's interesting? He shared this in the earlier service. But he forgot probably the biggest announcement of the whole week because this was really cool to me and it ought to be cool to you. You didn't tell them this week that the paper voted your church the best church in the county. Is that right? True. Seriously. He didn't tell you that. 
That's why I'm here. I always like to go to cool churches, you know, and uh, I've been in a lot of bad churches, so I like to be here, and I so officially, it's been voted on, you're the best church in the county, so that's just made it exciting for me, but I just look forward to being here, and so good to share with you. I want you to take your Bible this morning, uh, or your electronic device, whatever you do, and turn to Romans chapter 16. This morning, I want to talk to you about the principle that changes everything. I'm going to share with you this morning a principle that is so powerful, if you practice it on a regular basis as an individual, it will totally change how people relate to you. If you're in a business, if you own your own business, if you practice this principle, it will have a positive impact on your business. But the context in which I'm going to share it this morning, if you practice this principle as a church, you will have people from three counties driving to be a part of your church. Now, I realize I just set the bar very high, but I think by the time we finish, you're going to agree with me that this principle is so powerful that it changes everything. Now, before we get to the biblical text for what we're going to share, let me just take you on a little bit of a journey and share with you how I discovered the principle I'm going to share with you this morning. I was privileged to have a wonderful grandmother, my father's mother, who lived to be 93 years of age. She had a wonderful mind. She lived alone. She cared for herself. And one night, she just went to bed, and sometime during the night, she just slipped into the arms of God. But my grandmother was just, she was just a delightful lady to be around. She always said she wanted to live to be 102 years old. So one day I said, why 102? I mean, why did you pick to, you want to live to be 102? She said, well, I'd like to live to be 100 so I can say I did it, and then I'd like to have two years to brag about it. So that was my grandmother. But my grandmother, as she got older, and some of you may have a grandmother that's like this, as my grandmother got older, she would say things, and we knew what she meant, but it was not what she said. You ever talk to an old person like that? They say something, you know what they meant, but it's not what they said. Now, I have a little book with a lot of these illustrations, but let me give you one or two of them because I want you to get the spirit of my grandmother. The church where my grandmother attended was this real small Baptist church, and uh, their pastor got very sick. And the people were really struggling with like, you know, he's a godly man and, and he is sick and we don't understand why because probably he was not going to be able to preach after he had a major surgery. And so they, they called and asked me, the pastor did, he said, would you come and speak to our church about suffering and how God uses suffering in our lives? And I said, of course I will. So I went to my grandmother's church. And I spoke on suffering and how God uses suffering in our life. And at the close of the service, my grandmother walked up to me, very sincerely, looked me right in the eyes, and she said, son, I want you to know, I did not know what suffering was until I heard you speak today. <laughs> I know what she meant, but it wasn't what she said. i give you another one. My grandmother, every time somebody heard me preach and called and told my grandmother, she immediately called to report me, good or bad, what they said. So one day she called me. She said, son, did you preach at and call the name of a church near her? And I said, yes, ma'am, I did. She said, well, you know, my friend Hazel goes to that church. And I said, uh, I did not know that. She said, oh, yeah, she called and told me about you preaching. And I'm going to tell you what she said about your preaching. I said, well, okay, what did she say? 
She said, Hazel said for me to tell you that the last guest preacher they had spoke for one hour and said absolutely nothing, but you did it in 30 minutes. Okay. I think I get it. I went to see my grandmother. She was always a real upbeat person. And so when you went to see her, she was always optimistic about everything. And I went to see her one day. She lived in this little mobile home behind my aunt. And when you go to see her, it was always, you know, she was having the best day of her life. It was better than the day before. But this particular day, I went to see her, and she just was kind of down. And I said, Big Mother, are you feeling okay? Oh, I feel fine. I feel fine. I'm like, well, you seem to be a little discouraged. She said, I am. I'm having a terrible day, a terrible day. And I said, well, why are you having a terrible day? She said, well, I got up this morning, and I got to thinking. She came from a very large family. She said, I got up this morning and started thinking, all my brothers and sisters except one are dead. She said, do you know every single person I went to school with is dead? Everybody close to my age that I went to church with is dead. Now, my grandmother's name was Lenny. That's an important part of this story, okay? And, and she said, they're all dead. And I said, but big mother, you're alive. That's wonderful. She said, it's terrible. I said, why is it terrible? She said, because they're all in heaven looking at each other saying, I don't think Lenny's coming. I don't think Lenny's coming. <laughs> That's my grandmother, all right? But as my grandmother got older, she also developed another habit. And that was that, you know, when you get to be in your 90s, there's not a whole lot you can do. So here's what my grandmother did every day. She'd get up, eat breakfast, have a little morning devotion. And then she had about four or five friends that she called every morning. <laughs> I guess to see if they got up. I don't know. But she would call those four or five friends. Then she would eat lunch. And after lunch, she called those same four or five friends. Then she would at night eat what she called supper. And before she went to bed, she called those same four or five friends. Now, when she called them those two or three times a day, whenever she called them, they just started the conversation where they left off. Now, here was the only problem. If my grandmother called you and you were not one of those three or four friends, she had a tendency to start the conversation in the middle of the conversation that you were not part of. So she would start talking about things and you have no idea what she's talking about. It happened to me one day. I was sitting in Atlanta airport. I was about to get on a plane to go fly to preach. And as I'm sitting on this in, in the waiting area at the terminal and get, waiting to get on the plane, my cell phone rang and it was my grandmother. Now, she rarely called me. Most of the time I called her. And so I answered it and I said, hello, big mother. That's what all of her grandkids called her. She was a little bitty woman, but everybody called her big mother. And, and we said, I said, hello, big mother. And without any words of introduction, Without her saying, son, where are you? Where are you going to preach? How's the family? Without any words of introduction, my grandmother said, when I said, hello, big mother, she said, son, what's wrong with Obadiah? <laughs> I have no idea what she's talking about. So, you know, in just like millimeter or whatever, you, your brain starts to think, and I'm thinking like, okay, there's somebody in our family named Obadiah who's sick. Grandmother's calling me to find out what's wrong with them because they're not telling her what's wrong with them. So immediately, I start running through in my mind, who in our family's named Obadiah? Obi, Obadiah, couldn't, couldn't think of one, couldn't think of anybody. 
And so in that moment, when she said that, I, I had her to repeat it. I said, she said, what's wrong with Obadiah? I said, ma'am, I, what did you say? She said, what's wrong with Obadiah? So I thought, well, I can't show my ignorance. I don't know who this family member is. So I decided that I would deflect her question by asking her a question. So I said, um, well, big mother, um, is he sick? And she said, no, he's not sick. He's dead. I said, well, that's probably what's wrong with him if you think about it. She said, he's been dead for years. And I said, well, big mother, we got to start this conversation over. You tell me that Obadiah is dead, been dead for years, but you call me to ask me what's wrong with him. And it was then my grandmother explained her question. You see, my grandmother had a Bible that she got during World War II when Franklin Delano Roosevelt was president, long before we were even thought of. Most of our parents weren't even thought of. But she had gotten this Bible, and ever since she had this Bible, since World War II, when Franklin Delano Roosevelt was president, she did something that a lot of older people did at her age, and that is every time she heard a preacher preach, she would take a pen and she would write their name in the margin and the date, and she'd draw a little line over to the verse. Now, my grandmother did that every time she heard a preacher preach. Now, let me tell you why older people do that. It's because they want you to be impressed with their memory. So see, they, like if you're a preacher and you get up and preach and like you had that same verse, they could walk up to you and say something like, I remember the last time you preached that. I believe it was July the 5th, 1954, you know, and no, you don't remember this right there in the margin of your Bible. Well, my grandmother always did that. And she had got up that morning and she had this little devotional book. And the little devotional book that she had, it would always suggest scripture, and then she would read the scripture, and then she would read the devotion. Well, that morning she had gotten up, and the suggested scripture was from an Old Testament book called Obadiah. And she had read it, read the devotion, and then she looked back at her Bible and realized that all around Obadiah, nothing was written and that since World War II, when Franklin Delano Roosevelt was president, she had not heard one sermon from a preacher from the Old Testament book of Obadiah. So she started wondering why. So she thought, well, I'll call my preacher grandson and ask him, son, what's wrong with Obadiah? That was the purpose of her question. So I went to see her not long after that, and I said, can I borrow your Bible. My grandmother said, why, you don't have one? I said, no, ma'am, I have a Bible. I, I just want to see your Bible. And I took my grandmother's Bible and I picked it up and noticed she had not all those times she'd heard sermons. And when I picked up my grandmother's Bible and I looked at it, I realized there were books of the Bible, like Obadiah and another one called Nahum. And my grandmother had never heard a sermon. And there were large sections of books of the Bible, like Ezekiel and Job and Leviticus, where my grandmother had never heard a sermon. And there were chapters in the Bible that my grandmother had never heard a preacher address. So I took out a piece of paper <coughs> and I jotted down all of those places because I thought, well, maybe we preachers did miss something. And so I spent the next few weeks going and reading a lot of those chapters and sections that my grandmother had never heard a sermon. And you know, to my surprise, one of the places where my grandmother had never heard a sermon was the 16th chapter of Romans, the final chapter of the book of Romans. Now you would think, oh, surely she did. No, and let me tell you the reason why. Because if you read this chapter, all Paul does is send greetings to friends. 
Literally, all through it, he says, greet this person, greet this person, say howdy to that person. That's really what he's saying. That's all he does. So preachers tend to say, not a lot of meat here. We'll move on to something else. But as I read Romans 16, suddenly, from the pages of the Word of God, in the middle of all that greeting, I discovered the principle that changes everything. Now, I want you to see it in the Scripture, and then I'll share it with you. But let me show you some verses from Romans 16. Look first at verse 3, where the Bible says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, that is, say howdy to Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Notice verse 6. Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. Salute Andronicus and Juna, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Amplist, my beloved in the Lord. Then notice verse 12. Here are two people. They're only mentioned here, nowhere else in the Bible. Two of my favorite people, only because I like their names. Look at these names. Salute Tryphena and Tryphosa, who labor in the Lord. Probably were twin sisters. So if you go home and find out you're going to have twin girls, you might want to name them Tryphena and Tryphosa. And then verse 13 says, salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. Now, I want to ask you a question this morning. When you read the Bible in the New Testament, do you believe that people loved the Apostle Paul? Well, of course you do. Because you can't read the, the New Testament without realizing how much people loved Paul. In fact, one of the most moving passages of Scripture in all the Bible is in the book of Acts when Paul is making his final missionary journey and he's going back and visiting all the churches he helped establish. And he went to Ephesus and the Bible says that he, he stayed there a while at the church in Ephesus and then he was leaving and all of the elders and leaders of the church, they go with Paul down to the ship because he's going to get on the ship and leave. And when they get to the ship, they pray together. And when they finish praying, Paul tells them, you'll never see my face again. Again, this side of heaven. And the Bible says they fell on his neck and wept. Now, you don't cry when somebody leaves unless you love that person. You see, people loved Paul. But do you know why all these people love Paul? It's because Paul loved people. And when I realized that, I suddenly discovered the principle that changes everything. You ready? People love people that love people. Would you say that with me out loud right now? People love people that love people. Do you realize that little phrase, if you understand it, changes everything? People are attracted to people that love people. Now, if I ask you this morning, do you love people? Everybody in this room would say yes. I mean, if we went around the room and I said, oh, I want everybody to stand up, tell me, do you love people? Nobody would stand up and say, well, I just like to stand up and say, I hate everybody. Yeah, because if you felt that way, you wouldn't be here. So you will tell me you love people. If I said, does your church love people? You would all say, yes, our church loves people. So apparently the problem we have as Christians is not do we love people or do we want to love people, but how do we make people feel loved? 
Paul had the incredible gift of making people feel loved. He caused them to feel valued and loved. And in Romans 16, in the midst of all this, greet this person, salute person, saying howdy to that person. In the midst of all of that, Paul does three things in these verses that makes people feel loved. And it's the three things, if you practice, people around you will feel valued and loved. Here's the first one. Paul understood that love appreciates people. It appreciates people for who they are, not for what they can do for you. You know, when I first read Romans 16, I noticed that Paul lists a lot of people in this chapter. There's about 27 people Paul mentions by name that he sends greetings to. So I found myself thinking, "Mm -hmm, I know what Paul is doing. You see, when Paul wrote the book of Romans, he'd never been to Rome. He's writing to a church in a city where he's never been. Now, he knew in his heart that someday he would go to Rome, and we know he did. In fact, most historians believe that he was beheaded. He was, he was killed in Rome for preaching the gospel. That's where he died. So we know he went to Rome, but when he's writing these words, he's never been to Rome. But he knew he would go there someday. So I thought, mm-hmm. I bet if I researched all of these people that Paul mentions, I know who they are. They're political leaders and wealthy people and influential people. And see, I'm thinking, Paul greets them so that that impresses them. So when he gets to Rome, um, they'll be able to do things for him. But to my amazement, of the 27 people Paul lists in Romans 16, over half of them are women or slaves, Do you know in Roman culture that a woman or a slave had no legal standing? The best way I can get you to understand how Romans, Roman men, viewed women and slaves would be the equivalent to how Americans view dogs and cats. I mean, we love our dogs and our cats, but do you know your dog and your cat can't do anything legally? (laughs) They can't testify in court. They can't buy something and sign a contract. They're there, they're beings, but we certainly don't put them on the same level as humans. Well, that's literally how the Romans viewed women and slaves. They weren't even viewed as humans as the same level as men. So what that means is, is have the people Paul mentions in Romans chapter 16, oh, follow me, they can do nothing for him, nor can they do anything to him. You want to know how you really are? How do you treat people who can do nothing to you or for you? That tells you if you really love people. But love says, I appreciate you for who you are. I value you for who you are, not for what you can do for me. I have a good friend who taught me this principle about appreciating people and its impact his name is Maurice Scobie. Uh, by the way, he's a North Kalinian, which is quite interesting, but he, he is a wonderful guy. But when he got out of college, he had an opportunity to do something. And my friend Maurice Scobie said, I'm going to devote my life to doing one thing. And so because of that, he chose never to marry. He would always be a single man. So he could devote himself 100% to what he felt called to do. He was the personal aide and assistant to a preacher named Billy Graham. 
Now, some of you obviously know who Billy Graham is. Some of you may not. So I'll tell you what my granddaughter tells me, Googling. And, uh, and you will find, if you do, Billy Graham died just a few years ago. He lived not far from here, a little place called Black Mountain near Asheville. That's actually where he lived. And he died just a few years ago at 99 years of age. But here's what you need to know about Billy Graham. Since the days of the, of the New Testament, he was the greatest preacher in terms of people who heard him preach of any man in the world. He literally would go and speak in stadiums and 100,000 people, and I'm not exaggerating that, would come to hear him preach night after night. He was in Seoul, Korea once, and over 1 million people in person, I'm not talking about online, in person came to hear him preach. He was friends with every political leader virtually around the country, personal friends with every president from Harry Truman all the way through to President Trump, who was president when he died. All of those were personal friends. He advised them. He canceled them. His man had incredible impact. And Maury Scobie was his personal aide and assistant. He was a guy who made sure his suits got there and all the material he needed. That was his job. And so I asked Maury one day, I said, here's this guy who had incredible impact, still one of the top 10 most admired people, in, at least in modern history, who influenced, I mean, communist leaders would call and consult with Billy Graham, and they wouldn't even talk to any other American. For some reason, everybody was just impressed and drawn to this man. So I asked him, I said, so Maury, tell me, is there any characteristic of Billy Graham you saw that you didn't see of anybody else? And he said, without hesitating, absolutely. The man truly appreciates everybody. He said, you should try to travel with him. He said, we would get on an airplane and he wouldn't go to his seat till he thanked the flight attendants and the pilots for what they were doing. They didn't even know who he was. He didn't care. You take him to a hotel. You couldn't get him to the hotel room. He had to thank the maids for cleaning the room and the people at the front desk. When they would go to those huge stadiums where he would be speaking, they couldn't get him to the platform because he would walk over and thank every usher. The man truly appreciated everybody. So if you drive down to Charlotte, North Carolina, where the Billy Graham Library is today, you can go in and research all of his correspondence from all of his ministry from the 40s all the way up to just a few years ago. And here's what you will discover. Do you know that over 75% of all the letters Billy Graham ever wrote in his life was to tell somebody, thank you. So do you wonder this man had such impact? Because people saw in him someone who genuinely loved and cared for people, not for what he saw them as doing for him. When you value people for who they are, not for what they can do for you, you're going to cause people to feel loved. But it's not just appreciating people. Let me show you the second thing Paul did. Paul acknowledges people. You know, if I'd been writing Romans 16, <laughs> here's how it'd been read. It would have been one verse, and it would have said, tell all my friends hello, period. <laughs> I wouldn't list everybody's names. I'm just being honest. And I would have been writing with a modern computer. Do you realize when Paul wrote Romans, he's writing with very crude writing instruments it's hard for us to imagine sometimes how hard it was to write. And probably since he wrote this while he was in prison, he probably is writing or his scribe who's helping him, he's probably writing with writing instruments that other people have thrown away. It would be like us trying to, to write a letter with ink pens that other people have thrown away because they already run out of ink. In fact, I'll tell you how, how significant that is. Archaeologists say that it probably took Paul as long as one minute to write one letter of the Greek alphabet. Makes you appreciate your Bible more, doesn't it? But Paul is writing all of these people's names. 
So when does he do that? Why don't you just say, tell my friends hello? Because Paul knows that love always acknowledges people. Let me ask you a question. You ever had a friend maybe went to church here, Cowie, and who was really good friends, and because of their job or some of the situation, they had to move away. So they may move to another state or to another area. But you step up with them, and you're talking one day, and you say, have, have you found you a new church yet? And they say, no, we haven't. We visited a lot of churches, and they start telling you about the churches where they went. We went to this church. We kind of liked that church. Music wasn't that good. Preaching was good. We went to this other church. You know, the preaching was horrible, and music was good. And, we went, and they start telling you about all the churches. And then they say, and we went to this church, but we're not going back there. So you ask them, Why? You know the number one people will tell you why they do not go back to a church? Here, and you've heard it. Here it is. I went there and nobody spoke to me. Now, you ever wonder why that offends people? I mean, I got thinking the other day. I've lived my whole life and I have never met one person who said, yeah, I got thrown in jail last week, but I ain't going back to jail because nobody spoke to me. <laughs> you don't hear that. So why is it when people come to church and nobody speaks to them, it's fin- let me tell you why. Because all of us know something subconsciously. And here's what it is. If you are important to me, I will acknowledge your presence. And that means I'll speak to you. I'll look you in the eye. I'll value you. But what happens if somebody walks up to you and looks at you, doesn't even acknowledge you and walks away? You don't feel valued because we know... If I'm important to you, you will acknowledge my presence. And by the way, do you know the Bible tells us there's two ways we're to acknowledge people? One, Paul does it here. If you read third epistle, the third John, the very last verse, he says it. John said, we're to greet the brethren by name. Paul does it here. One of the ways if you want to make people feel valued is call them by their name. Now, we would all be real spiritual this morning if I said, what's the sweetest name you know? We'd all say Jesus. So let me ask you, what's the second sweetest name you know? You know what it is? It's your name. It really is. Your name is the second sweetest name you know. You love to hear your name. You know why? Because your name encompasses everything. It's you. So when someone calls your name, you feel more valued than if they just speak to you. I have some friends who have run for federal office, like, congressmen, senators, and all that stuff, president, whatever. And do you know they train people who are running for a federal office on how to politic? And you know one of the things they tell them to do is when you meet somebody, you call their name at least three times. So it'd be like, Jason, good to see you, Jason. Man, great being here with you, Jason. So long, Jason. See you, Jason. You know the reason why? Because studies show that if you call somebody's name at least three times, the odds of them supporting you politically goes up exponentially. So let me ask you, how much more important is that when people come to church? That we call them by name. But you said, Phil, there were two ways. Yeah, the second way is right here in verse 16. (laughs) You know what it says? Greet each other with a holy kiss. Hey, don't get mad at me. I didn't write the stuff. It's right here in the Bible. I know what you're thinking. This obvious was before COVID. Yes, you're right. This is pre-COVID. But now that we're in post-COVID, for the most part, let me tell you what it is. Romans greeted each other. You've seen people in and maybe some countries where they go up and they kiss each other on each cheek. Well, let me tell you, that's not the way we do it as Americans. We would feel odd if somebody did that. But here's the equivalent in our culture. 
It's shaking somebody's hand, hugging somebody's neck. Man, Jason, it's good to see you, man. How do they feel? They feel loved. They feel valued. The reason why I was reading an article recently in the Wall Street Journal, I thought it was interesting, that companies, you know, that, that are like retail companies that are nationwide, that when they start losing money and they're about to go under, they bring in all these, these people to, to teach them, like, how can we like, improve our business or whatever? We've got a good product. You know the number one thing they teach them? Start acknowledging people when they come through the door. Hey, welcome to our store. You know, if you know your name, hey, Bill, good to see you. And they discovered it works. In fact, Sam Walton, the guy who started Walmart, years ago, if you read his, his autobiography, Sam Walton said when he started Walmart, he could not compete on price because he didn't have that many stores. And here's what he discovered. He said, I discovered if I put somebody at the front door just to greet people when they come in the door, people would come to our store and spend more money than to go to the other store just because somebody greeted them. And for years, Walmart had what was called the Walmart greeter. And Sam Walton said, I built my business. Now, think about that. In, in politics, they do it. And, and in business, they do it. Listen, friends, it works. When you acknowledge people and you call their name, they feel valued. But wait, there's a third thing Paul did. Paul also affirmed people because love affirms people. Did you notice when I read a moment ago these verses, um, he just didn't say, uh, greet the following, Priscilla, Willa, Juna, Andrew, and I. No. Paul said, say hello to Priscilla and Aquila. You know, guys, they risked their life for me. Now, Priscilla and Aquila already knew that. So you know what Paul's doing? He's just bragging on them to the Christians in Rome. Hey, and say hello to June and Andronicus. <laughs> you guys don't know it, but they came to Christ before I did, and the apostles talk about what great Christians they are. Oh, and by the way, you got Mary and Tryphena and Tryphosa. They've done so much for the Lord. And you got this, this, say hello to Rufus and his mama. She's been like my own mama. That's literally what Paul said. You see what Paul's doing? He's bragging on them. You know something about love? When you love people, you brag on people. But in fact, let me put it this way. When you love people... Your default is not to see what's wrong with them, but to see what's right about people. Let me illustrate. You know, when you're a preacher and you get up, my wife and I, we, we have two daughters, two wonderful son-in-laws, and we have five grandchildren. Now, I know your eyes just roll back if you don't have grandkids and think, oh, Lord, he's going to talk about the grandkids. And you're right. I'm fixing to. So let me just tell you, I got five grandkids. We have two granddaughters, three grandsons, or two granddaughters are the oldest. Now, now, if you don't have grandkids, you really don't understand this, but if you have grandkids, you're going to amen me when I say this. But let me give you a little encouragement. Those of you who have young children, and boy, you just have hard days, and some days you think, I'm just not going to make it. Just hang in there. Someday they'll bring you grandchildren, and you will discover that grandchildren are God's reward for not killing your kids. That's really what grandchildren are. Anybody with grandparents, say amen. And that's really what grandkids are. But we have five grandchildren. Now, my two oldest are girls. They're 10 years old. They're sisters, and they're six weeks apart. <laughs> that just blew your mind, didn't it? Well, one of them's adopted. I hope you can figure that out on your own. But they're, they're wonderful. Well, one of them loves to play soccer, a game I still don't understand, except we're all trying to kick it in the net. The other one does not like sports. She loves the theater. So she's in all of these productions and plays, and she acts in the plays. And we go to see them play soccer, and we never miss one of the plays. Well, can I tell you all something? 
after they got involved in all that, I find myself talking to people after a game, and I say, well, I'm not saying it because she's my granddaughter, but you know she's the best kid on the team. <laughs> I'm not saying it because she's my granddaughter, but she totally made the play. And my wife said to me one time, you realize you're lying. You're really saying that because they're your grandkids. So I still said, I just take that part out. Now I just say to people, you realize that kid is the best kid on the team. That's the best person in the play. Now, can I tell you something? I really believe that. But you know why I believe it? Because I got a filter in front of me. And that filter is called a grandfather's love. And I'm looking through that filter at everything my grandkids do. So you see, I don't see my granddaughter when she messes up. I only see it when she scores. And I don't see my granddaughter if she forgets a line. I only see when she does it perfectly. Because when you love people, you look at them through the filter of love, and you always look for the good and not the bad. That's why you brag on them. You compliment them. You say nice things to them. And you don't think that affects people? Mark Twain, the old writer, said... You can live on a good compliment for six months. He's right. How does it make you feel when you hear somebody said, you know, they're the best singer I ever heard. Their smile just makes my day. They're the hardest working person I've ever seen. And especially when they're not around and they hear through a third party that you said that, man, people walk a little, little you know, they're a little taller and they feel because they feel loved. We criticize people, but we never look at people and tell them what they do Right. I mean, I fly a lot. And yes, I'm, I'm platinum and all that with Delta, but can I tell you all a little secret? I get bumped up to first class a lot just because I just started bragging on people. I mean, I've been in line at Delta when, you know, they had to delay the flight and all these businessmen are mad and fussing and cussing like they could do something about it. All these people, and you just walk up to them and say, pardon me, uh, how do you like your coffee? And they look at you and say, what do you mean? Well, just tell me how you like your coffee. And... Uh, I just wanted to know. And you go down and you get them a nice cup of coffee and you bring it back and say, I just want to tell you, I think you're doing a good job. They sit in the back. I get in first class. Now, that's not my motive. <laughs> but can I tell you how many times I've traveled? And as I traveled, I walk up and I don't even remember the person. And they'll say, oh, I know you. You remember when you flew here through six months ago, whatever? You told me I did a good job. I cannot tell you how that just made my day. Affirming people is loving people. I'll give you an illustration of somebody who got this principle and the impact it had. It, it really was a five-year-old who got it. His dad's a pastor. His dad's a good friend. And when this occurred, the little fellow was five years old. From the time he was four-year-old, for reasons known only to God, he became fascinated with the garbage truck and the garbage man. Six days a week, he would not get out of bed. But the morning the garbage man came, he was up early and he would stand on the front porch and he would watch and garbage man and some neighbor told him the garbage man's name was Bill. And he said, hey, Mr. Bill. And he'd stand there and awe as he got the garbage. And then he'd go play. Well, Christmas was coming one year and they were making out the Christmas list, everybody they needed to buy presents for. And the little five-year-old said, Mama, we need to get the garbage man a present. She said, we don't normally get the garbage man a Christmas present. Well, I want to get the garbage man a present. And the dad's in a teachable moment. said, well, why don't you and your mom bake some cookies 
And um, y'all can give them to Mr. Bill for Christmas. Well, he thought that was a great idea. So before, before Christmas, on Tuesday night, they bake the cookies. Wednesday morning, he's up early. The dad says, now, you can't go to the street until I go with you. So if you see him coming, let me know, and I'll go with you. He said, okay. In a few minutes, he said, he coming, daddy. He coming. He said, all right, get the cookies. So the little boy got the paper plate, cookies, a little paper towel on top. And he and his dad, they walk down to the street. The garbage man stops. He gets out. And he looks at my friend and he says, sir, something wrong? He said, oh, no, no, nothing's wrong. He said, you probably noticed my, my son, he, he, really, he really is fascinated with a garbage truck. Oh, yeah, he's always standing there waving and all that. He said, well, our family wanted to get you something for Christmas. And he and his mom, they baked some cookies. And the little boy handed them to him and said, Merry Christmas, Mr. Beal. And the garbage man said, thank you, son. And then out of nowhere, the five-year-old said, thank you for getting our garbage. It sure would stink around here if you didn't. <laughs> thank you, son. And the garbage man put the cookies in the truck. But when he turned around, there was a tear in his eye. And he said, you know, I, I don't think anybody's ever given me a present because I'm the garbage man, but thank you. Then he looked at my preacher friend. And he said, sir, what's your line of work? What do you do? He said, well, I'm the pastor of a Baptist church down the road. And do you and your family attend church? Well, it's just me and the wife, and I'm sorry to say we don't go to church. But we might come. We might come to your church someday. The little five-year-old said, hey, we're having a Christmas program this week, and my preschool choir is going to sing at the start of it. And after we sing, we go and we're sitting in the audience. If you'll come hear me sing, I'll sit with you during church. <laughs> he said, we might do that. The little preschool choir was preparing to come out to sing. And the pastor said he looked up and through the back door came the garbage man and his wife. And just like he promised, when he finished singing, the little five-year-old went and sat with him during the service. And when church was over with, so many people in this church have told me about this. But after the service was over with, the little boy had the garbage man going around and introduced him. This is Mr. Bill, best garbage man in town right there. <laughs> Never spills the garbage. <laughs> hey, do I need to tell you who came back to church the next Sunday? the garbage man and his wife. And it was about this time in January that the garbage man called my pastor friend and said, would you drop by our house? My wife and I won't talk to you. And he dropped by to see them. And they said, we've never trusted Christ. And he led them to give their heart and their life to Jesus Christ. They were baptized, very active in that church. I met that garbage man and his wife. But do you know why that garbage man is in church today? Because a five-year-old got it. A five-year-old understood to love people means to appreciate them, to acknowledge them, to affirm them. Best garbage man. And that five-year-old loved a garbage man and his wife right to the foot of the cross. You see, it's a simple principle, but believe me, it works. People love people that love people. Would you say it with me one more time? People love people that love people. Now will you bow your heads with me? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I'm going to ask our musicians if they'll go ahead and come and get ready. Because in a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. You've probably seen this every Sunday when we give people an opportunity to respond but this morning, I'm going to issue a very special challenge. And before I do that, let me just say this. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you've never trusted Christ, I want you to know this invitation is for you too. 
If you want today to give your heart, your life to Jesus, I just want you to come to Brother Jason or one of the other staff and just say, I'm not a Christian and I want to be. They'll share with you. You may want to come and say, hey, I want to become part of this church. All of those decisions you're very welcome to make. But my challenge is to those of you who are Christians who come here to Calvary Baptist. I want to ask you something. Would you like to love people like Paul loved people? I need to tell you, it is a conscious act. You don't just fall into it accidentally. And it starts with a simple commitment where you say, I want to love people like Paul loved people. And then there's this built-in accountability in your heart and with the Holy Spirit that this week you're going to be somewhere and you're going to see somebody that never hears a kind word, never, no one ever says you did a good job or thank you. And you're just going to look at them and say, hey, you're doing a good job. I appreciate it. And they realize you don't want anything in return. You just love them. Or maybe you're going to have an opportunity this week to say to somebody else about what somebody has meant to them. Maybe what they've meant to you. Just to affirm them, but just... Maybe it means you're going to have to get out of your comfort zone. And when you come to church, you normally don't speak to visitors and you don't learn their name. But you're just going to have to say, I'm just going to do it. And I'm going to learn to go over to people and say, hi, my name is Phil in my case. What's yours? And then learn their name. And then when you see them, go over and speak to them and welcome and call them by name. But you remember what I said? It all starts with a simple commitment to say, I want to love people like Paul loved people. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do this morning. You may not have done this in a long time, but I'm going to ask you to do it. Just a moment, I'm going to have a prayer, and then following that, the praise team is going to lead us in singing. But don't really pay attention much to what they're singing, because what I want you to focus on is what God is saying to you. And Brother Jason's going to be here. Other staff are going to be here. And if you want to love people like Paul loved people, I'm going to invite you to leave where you will be standing. I just want you to walk here to the front to where one of them are standing, Brother Jason. And all I want you to say to them and mean it is I want to love people like Paul loved people. You can go back to your seat. You say, well, why is that important? Because again, it builds in accountability. It's giving the Holy Spirit permission this week to remind you and to show you how you can love people like that. But you've got to take that step. So would you go ahead right now and just make up your mind? You're going to do it. And literally, you may have to be by some people and other people. I think a lot of people will be responding. But you just come and say to one of them, I want to love people like Paul love people. You go back to your seat. And I'm going to tell you, if you do that, in six months, God only knows what God's going to do in your church. You're going to go, wow, this changed everything. Absolutely. That's the title of the sermon. But it starts when you're willing to make that commitment. So will you be willing to do it this morning? Lord, we're going to stand in just a second, and the praise team is going to begin to sing. And Lord, I pray that literally, even as people are standing from all over this room, people will come, 10, 20, 40, 50 people, even more, to say, I'm leaving today to love people like Paul love people. And I'm going to thank you for the way it's going to change everything. So I'm praising you as they're coming now. It's in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We stand. They're singing. You just go ahead and make your way and come to say, I want to love people like Paul loved people. Will you do it?